I really want to reinforce, I, I did not leave because I felt that I was being given too much of a hard time. Hello and welcome to Inside Parliament. It's our weekly podcast looking at the stories we're covering this week. Uh, my name is Felix Demaray. I am the digital political reporter for One News. And with me are the alpha big dogs. These intros get better and better. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Benedict Collins. Kia ora, Kushla Norman. Kia ora. Well, today is a, uh, a buzzing day uh, around Parliament. Uh, I've bumped into the High Commissioner of Australia on Lambton Quay. There's a lot of people around. So Wellington. Yeah, so Wellington. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a big day because today is the day of Jacinda Ardern's valedictory. Jess, what do you think this is going to be like? Like you saw John Key's valedictory. How are they going to be different? What are these like? I think it is a different feeling uh, for when it was John Key and Jacinda Ardern. I think both of them have that they're leaving of their own accord and that does make quite a big difference. Even though the tide was turning somewhat for Jacinda Ardern in terms of popularity, she was still pretty much uh, in with a shot at the next election. So stepping down is an unusual move. It is the who's who of Wellington, particularly the left side of of politics who are descending on Wellington today and there is quite a buzz around and I've really enjoyed the last couple of days interviewing um, our former prime ministers and political leaders about looking at her legacy and taking a big picture because I think there's a difference for us I've probably interviewed her as prime minister most days for the last five years and the way that we look at things is you know issues with perhaps not achieving what she wants to do with climate change, with child poverty, um, with uh, three waters. Uh, but I think the public look at it probably in a more holistic way, looking at her legacies, the way that she made them feel during COVID, um, looking at things like her response, which was pretty um, incredible in March 15th, and the fact that she was paving her own way as a mother uh, and a pregnant Prime Minister. And I think that we should remember both of those. Mm. I noticed what you said there, Jess, about the way she made people feel. And mm. that came up a couple of times yesterday in John's interview with her, almost a bit like she senses that the domestic delivery of policy was not as strong. And what was important for her was her um, empathy and kindness. And she mentioned it twice about how she made people feel. And, and that is part of her legacy, I think. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting too, um, you sort of touched on her impact overseas when we spoke to a bunch of uh, national MPs, including Judith Collins, who she went up against in the 2020 election, um, about how what their view of, what, of Jacinda Ardern was, and uh, Judith Collins said she was extraordinary on the world stage, which was quite high praise, I was almost quite surprised it was, um, from Judith. I'm not surprised by that, because I think the leader's... We see it for what it is. She's had, she's the most popular prime minister overseas that we've ever had, and may ever have in New Zealand. And I think uh, we're perhaps have got used to that a little bit. But it's pretty extraordinary. And mm. whenever you travelled overseas with Jacinda Ardern, overseas media, um, you know, were really keen to talk to her and engage with her. Um, world leaders would meet with her. Um, the big players on the world stage were queuing up to meet with her that we haven't, we didn't see with any of our other leaders. And I think it's important 
to I think we've kind of got used to quite a few things in New Zealand. We've got used to having female prime ministers and used to having these, um, you know, having our prime ministers punch above their weight. But it is important to pause and reflect on how significant that is. And I think that it's good that other party leaders are saying that it's something that um, Sir John Key mentioned um, in, in my interview with him as well, you know, that she did a really good job in that area, mm. even if they didn't agree with her politics and, and the w- other way that she did things. This week all feels a bit weird to me. It was like, it kind of felt like we'd sort of moved on very, very quickly from Jacinda Ardern. You know, she announced her resignation back in January and swiftly they elected Chris Hipkins. And then, you know, she's been kind of out of sight, out of mind for the last couple of months. She hasn't been coming to Parliament um, has been obviously just given leave, hasn't been around at all. I did it, bump into her at the um, Vietnamese place, though, when I was grabbing lunch. Um, oh, so she has been around sometimes. Th- thank you for that, Jess. <laughs> She's into the spring um, rails too. Yeah, yeah. so it was, it's, it's kind of interesting for her to come out several months later to come back to Parliament to um, give her you know, valedictory speech and kind of brings, brings all this stuff back up again. I thought another really interesting thing this week was the way she's kind of handled uh, her departure here. Um, in, in terms of basically picking two reporters um, to do just two um, interviews with, uh, John Campbell and, uh, from, from One News and uh, Samantha Hayes from, from News Hub, those um, are the only interviews she will be doing. Um, like, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of fascinating. She, not, she would not do an interview with a single political reporter you know, who had been following her here at Parliament for 15 years. Um, yeah, I just thought that was kind of extraordinary. You're not in a single interview with Radio interview. New Zealand or the New Zealand Herald or stuff. It just, uh, yeah, I thought it was kind of an extraordinary way to, um, yeah, for someone who came in with this open and transparent government to, yeah. to kind of cut media out like that. And I find that quite interesting with Ardern. You know, she has been both praised and criticised for her communication strategy. Mm. And around that, you know, she was obviously... Um, that that she exerted quite a lot of control over that narrative as she was leaving. Um, I think that's that's pretty interesting. That you know, um, obviously she didn't control. You know, questions were asked or anything like that. But you know, by choosing who she's going to speak to on her exit interview and and how many of those exit interviews she was going to do, um, you know, um, that's a I don't know. I think uh, people might criticise that perhaps. I don't think many people know about it. I think that's the, that's you know, do you get what I mean? Like mm. I think it's kind of one of those things that um, perhaps just gets... Discussed in Inside Parliament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it so you've got the scoop here, folks, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And I think the interview with John Campbell, it was very philosophical at times, very deep, big sort of searching questions. How do we debate without it leading to hate? Um it wasn't, there were aspects of accountability for sure. He had her up about um, her record on child poverty mm. um, and climate change as well. Climate change mm. as well. One bit um, that got left on the cutting room floor um, that you'll have to watch the full interview to see it, which I found very interesting from how do, how do politicians find the words in these incredibly tough moments? So I'm referring here to the mosque attacks in Christchurch 2019. Ardern is in Taranaki at the time. She is recalling how she gets whisked to a a police station and she's sitting there, she's being fed information and drips and drabs and she's making notes. Um, And what is 
where this is leading is John asks her, how did you find the words, those powerful words that are now so well known, um, they are us. And here's a little bit of a clip here explaining that. And after I was briefed on the existence of this manifesto, I called Grant Robertson and just said to him, please go to the office, um, take, take some notes for me and help the team write up a statement. I'll do a press conference from here and I just shared sentiment, how I was feeling. Uh, he tells me that that was where I first used that phrase, was on the phone. Um, and then I went back to a hotel and wrote some notes for that lone press conference. I kept the notes um, and you can tell from my writing that I, uh, that I was in a hurry. Yeah, and I, I, I thought that was a really fascinating insight and I thought Ardern actually opened up more than I kind of expected her to in, in, in that interview with John. Um, yeah, I found that, um, that line that um, she originally said it in a phone call to Grant Robertson was quite interesting as well, a bit of a, a treat to see behind the scenes on um, that horrible day. I definitely watched that interview and it was almost like... Um, a former relationship because we spend so much time listening to the Prime Minister that you're standing there and when he was asking the questions your head is kind of going like okay she's going to answer it this way and answer it this way and there were a couple of things that I was like ah that's I was surprised at um, how she answered that particularly around the tired comment I think that was a really brave thing to say I, I know Personally, I, you know, it's not something you really like to admit that you're just a bit exhausted from all the stuff that's going on and her and her job, which is such a high profile one, and being able to be like, actually, it just, I just feel really tired. Do you think you saw the politician's mask coming off a bit there? I don't know. I don't ever think that really slips off yeah. completely with her, but I do think she was honest. And, I mean, you could see the emotion. You're right, maybe to a certain extent, maybe I'm being a bit... Harsh, well, but she definitely said that line about, you know, why be afraid of having Māori at the table about three waters? And I don't know if it ended up in the full cut um, where John said, why have you never said that publicly before? Absolutely, yeah. So the, I feel like the mask slipped a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. that was the thing that, um, that when we were discussing ideas and topics, that was a point that our political producer Lillian Hanley made, was why did she not put more of her political capital into communicating three waters? Because... With things like that, you're like, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Um, it may have dampened down and may have been a balm on some of that fire and heat around Three Waters that became and has become so divisive. That was an interesting insight too, that she acknowledged how much of an impact that that might have. I, yeah, I thought that mm. was really quite honest. And I'm really looking forward to 5.45 and yeah. hearing her valedictory. Um, I think it's been really interesting going back through some of the old um, stories and some of the old um, footage and I think for me being slightly reflective probably the most poignant um, was the March 15 stuff and just you know we were going live and filing what we could breaking into programming on the Friday and then that next day hitting the ground and going to Christchurch and that's sort of one of those days that you won't forget. Also that moment where she hugged um, it was outside the um, Rangatai Mosque and it was a weekend and 
I remember going and they had, um, there were a whole group of people gathered there and we saw the Prime Minister arrive and she got out of the car and she had um, the headdress on and then she just walked up to some of the family members and just gave this hug and that communicated so much and even at the time I remember saying to our camera operator Sam von Kaisenberg that felt like a moment and that was the image that was then projected onto the Burj Khalifa and went around the world um, and to be there for moments like that was pretty incredible and you guys at Benedict you'll be in the same position like some of those um, press conferences over COVID and you're sitting there and just being like wow this is this is really happening. We're going into lockdown. Um, we're shutting the borders. We're shutting the borders. I, I think that um, very historic, sort of almost Michael Joseph Savage-esque sort of presser from her office that was at March... Um, 18, oh, 20, somewhere the, yeah. around so there. Address to the nation. The yeah. address yeah. to the wow. nation. Yeah. Um, Michael Joseph Savage, I believe there was a picture frame of him sitting behind it. It mm. felt yeah. like one of those moments equivalent to you know we're entering world war ii we're going into a nationwide lockdown the country is locking down for a virus a mm. mystery virus we had um that was pretty new to us a pandemic and it's so interesting to watch that back again now because i did for some of this coverage of her leaving and viewing it in a different way because i think at the time you're on news mode and you're doing it and just how extraordinary it was as a moment and i actually bumped into um Sir Ashley Bloomfield yesterday and was um, reminiscing, I guess, about some of that because he spent a lot of time standing next to her at the podium and, you know, talking about her leadership. Um, and I think that was, you know, that was a big defining moment in his his career and I think for her as well, that, that duo, if you like. Um, mm. So, yeah, and, and I mean, I don't want to, I don't want us to go down this path of, of, you know, holier than thou. She, there were big things that she didn't do. She promised a transformational government, um, and I don't think we saw that. Some would argue she didn't get the chance to show that. Um, you know, there were things that she didn't um, achieve that she should have given a better nudge to, given that it's a it's a majority parliament. Um, but I do think this is a time when when a prime minister is stepping down and leaving that we can be a bit reflective. And politics aside acknowledge the job that she's done over the last five years. Yeah, it's down to history now, and um, I guess maybe scholars can wonder what uh, kind of premiership she may have had if it weren't for the many, you know, the natural disasters, the terrorist attack, pandemic... Gosh, and she said yesterday. Scholars and us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, luckily we get to do it on the daily and then we can move on. <laughs> I don't know what's worse, being a journalist or being a historian. But anyway, that's a question for another Definitely day. We historian. do it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'd rather be a journalist, which is uh, just as well. Um, yeah, so, and then also, so we'll move on. Um, uh, and so, gosh, this week I feel like there's been a lot of foot and mouth syndrome What's been happening? There's been a bit of an outbreak over, I guess, the past week or so. Um, now, sorry, doesn't seem to be the hardest word for, which is a bit of a change in tune in Parliament because the apologies have been flowing left, right and centre. Um, and I'm literally talking across the political spectrum yeah. here. So you've had Madame Davidson. She did apologise to the Prime Minister, not publicly, mm. um, for her white cis men cause violence in the world comment. Mm. Then you had Stuart Nash. Well, we know their apology and a but sacking. Lots of things. And <laughs> <laughs> a, 
the end of his political career. Uh, then you had Simon O'Connor from the Nets. He had to apologise for another controversial statement that he said in the House where he wanted to point out to Madame Davidson that the Nashville shooter was not a white cis male, which many saw as disgusting political point scoring. So what's that apology and number then, three? Oh, then you had, sorry, the staffers, two staffers that had to apologise for the Stuart Nash affair, the handling of the uh, OIA that incriminated him, essentially. Then you had, just yesterday, Kitty Allen, Justice Minister, apologising for what she said at an RNZ leaving do for her fiancé, Marnie Dunlop, um, where we understand that she criticised um, the company and she apologised for the perception there. She was, she said, speaking um, as a family member, but um, that may have been misinterpreted as her telling the state broadcaster what to do. So what's that? Uh, five gosh. or four or five... Six apologies in the space of a week. Well, Here's an idea for the Justice Minister. Maybe just don't do a speech, just attend. And that shows your support. There's a little tip. And then there's also the national candidate, uh, Fleming. What was his first name? I've already forgot. Greg, Greg. Fle- Fleming. Uh, did he apologise for his comments? He, he, he made these comments 20 years ago that uh, he uh, likened uh, civil unions to incest and polygamy, I understand. Um, did he apologise for that? He, he but he's walked, walked it back, it back. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, so he says... Apparently he no longer believes. Those. Yes, he has educated himself over the last two decades and now does believe in... Um, I've just forgotten the phrase, civil unions. Civil unions, yeah. yeah. Mm. Believe it or not. Um, so, yeah, it's just one of those things, though, that it's more big picture looking at the selection yes, process. Yes, exactly, yeah. Because... What is going on. Yeah, and just that, I mean, you don't have to come into Parliament and um, everyone think the same and your thoughts can evolve and change. Mm. But to be able to front foot it and be able to say, look, this is how, uh, you know, in the selection process, a very simple question to candidates should be, with your political hat on, what things could trip you up that have that have been in your past that you may have said before? Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. just think being a, you, you should be able to identify those if you're wanting to be a member of Parliament. Mm to save any staffer or any investigative journalist or uh, anyone trying to dig in to that. So I just think that they need to do better with their selection processes for if if the person isn't forthcoming or can't see the political red flags, then they need to have someone who's just having a look and being like, hey, look, if you get asked about this, what's your response and what should our, our response be? Because it's it becomes then a question for Christopher Luxon, which is the last thing you want as a new candidate. Which I guess, to be fair, could have happened in this instance. They may well have actually talked to him about it. You know, he might have brought it up and they went ahead with selection and they were prepared because they did have, they were quite upfront, the National Party um, saying, look, True. yep. Um, Maybe it just didn't get communicated to Christopher Luxon yeah, in time. Possibly, yeah, yeah. Um, and then also we had an announcement around lobbying rules. Um, Benedict, do you want to explain what happened around there with the swipe card access and that sort of stuff? Yeah, that's right. So this kind of follows on from um, that RNZ um, guy and Espiner's uh, reporting looking at these extremely cosy relationships um, that uh, lobbyists have with ministers and ministers' offices. Um, so they're, they're carrying out a wider bunch of work, but they also kind of immediately brought in a... Um, or 
let me correct that, the Prime Minister's written to the Speaker looking to ban mm. swipe card access uh, for lobbyists, um, and it is kind of... Um, Symbolism isn't it? it isn't going to make too much difference to their to their lives. No, um, one lobbyist explained it to me a bit like the Kuru Lounge. You know, you get access to coppers, um, you can sort of hang the cafe out cafe in Parliament. Yeah, <laughs> that's Beehive, right. brother. And um, you get access to coppers. You can sort of hang out in the hope of brushing shoulders with someone, but it isn't really anything that particularly special. They said, but not really in the halls of power. You're in the foyer. More easily, yeah. right? You're in the lobby. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it is symbolic. Like, yeah. as a member, a member of the is. public can't do that. So why should that group be able to do that, even if it is just being able to go mm. um, into, into those places? So I do think that we are pretty behind in our lobbying laws um, and, and even, rules. Even it wasn't that say. long ago, right? I was sitting in the office and, like, Connor English... Um, lobbyist walks, you know, is walking around the different media offices in the press gallery, using obviously his swipe card access just to wander around Parliament, right, and get access into into offices, which apparently used to happen all the time. But it's a lot, a lot more co- uncommon now. But you know, nothing that Chris Hipkins announced is going to take away what lobbyists do every day, and that is that they've mm. got the private secretary's numbers, they're contacting them, they're calling up, they're like, hey, can we get a meeting with the minister tomorrow? Let's go out for beers to discuss this. You know, that's, that's access that the public does not have. Yeah, yeah but there's nothing offices, wrong with right? it. I mean, it, that's lobbying. That's, that's it's being, a legitimate well, part of no, democracy. The, the, problem, the mm. thing that is wrong with this is that there's no transparency. Yes, right? that part and, and is not right. And you don't know yeah. who these lobbyists are working for. It's not clear to the public. That, you know, there are very few rules, and we, we really kind of stick out like a sore thumb in terms of the developed world and, and having a real lack of regulation and rules in place. Like I a stand-down period. You know, and Chris Hipkins is standing up saying, oh, there's this perception, we've got a, you know, um, perception around lobbying that we need to clean it up. It's like, well, yeah. And, you know, I, it's like your chief of staff was a lobbyist, and 24 hours later, he's your, he's your chief mm. of staff. And it's so... Yeah, just uh, so untransparent. I I do think it's all a bit cute from the Prime Minister, his shift on lobbying to now move to sort of clean it up because two, three weeks ago when RNZ was doing the digging here and lifting the lid, it was the vibe, the attitude was a bit like nothing to see here. Um, He said something along the lines of, well, lobbyists don't have any more privileges than... um, the average person on the street. And now public, he's yeah. taking the swipe cards off them. So what has changed? <laughs> <laughs> and I would... But a political heat, maybe. Yes, yeah. and uh, along with the RNZ digging, I would... Um, suggests that potentially the Stuart Nash scandal has mm. um, definitely wrote, um, given rise to questions around integrity, connections, um National's gone as far as to say a cover-up about the the email and things like that. But there has been a a murkiness or a perception of murkiness here Mm. that I think the Prime Minister has wanted to move on. Although in the press conference we said, was it because of the Stuart Nash debacle that you're doing this? He said not specifically. He said the um, events of the recent week and even said on RNZ, and I'll give you some credit, RNZ, it was a a bit to do with your investigations. I've never heard a a politician (laughs) actually give journalists any credit a bit of a wake-up call for the May. Yeah. yeah. Well, watch this space on that point. Um, so we need to move on pretty quick now. So um, pits and peaks. One Jeez. thing I just wanted to point out, um, a pretty big milestone in the Parliamentary Press Gallery, um, Barry Soper, 40 years, um, and is retiring at the um, 
well, I was going to say the least selection is retiring. <laughs> um, he's gone through memory. 11 prime ministers, which is pretty exceptional. And um, there was a function at Parliament to um, mark his contribution to journalism. And it was it was a really cool thing to be part of, Real, well, you know, to be there for and just to hear some really incredible speakers. And, you know, that's a really <laughs> having... Um, only been here for 15 that's a really really long time to imagine doing that you know keeping up with this with this place for that long and so he was also my former editor so a little shout out yeah. to Barry Soper yeah, I nearly said Sue Barry Soper why Whoa. did I do that yeah <laughs> he would I think he would quite like that actually I'm a little bit tired can you tell yeah yeah Benedict fits oh, and my highlight of the week was, uh, Minister, mobile phones are being banned in a number of states in Australia. Basically, Do you think that's something we we're need in a different to area here and in New Zealand? Kind of yep, so less suing. Um, ministers and sending them down to the microphones and I asked Figuratively. I asked um, you know, this is my pet and my I asked, Felix, I asked Felix if he could ask the education minister of a question for us and the question had come in from an Australian correspondent yeah. um, so I thought she was very funny I haven't heard about she, she obviously picked up immediately on what you meant despite leaving out the um, crucial context of actual that's why it was my pet and peek too because she was very kind and that she she understood what I meant and she answered it in good faith and also shout out to the rest of the press gallery, besides from Benedict, because everyone else sort of like sort of laughed a little bit, but they didn't pull me out, up on it. Um, uh, yeah, I was making faces. Um, yeah, he Ray. made faces um, at me. Which is I not what unusual for Benedict Collins, to be fair. No, he's, he's got a face. Um, <laughs> yeah, so congratulations <laughs> to, to, to me for that uh, foolish moment. Any other notes or anything of note you got for you guys? Benedict has his hand up. Yeah, I, do you have a pit now? Is that a pit or a peak? No, no interesting little story that I um, worked on yesterday. Um, and that was um, the, the Greens um, confirmed this through a written question from the police minister who is seeking a meeting with the police today, I believe, or possibly yesterday for more information. Um, but in the in the wake of Cyclone Gabriel, um, the police in the um, surrounding um areas around um, Hawke's Bay in the Eastern Police District continued on with their cannabis um, destruction um, aerial um, work. So they basically they kept choppers and police teams going after cannabis crops um, up in Bay of Plenty and throughout the central North Island with choppers and uh, spotter planes, I believe. Um, yeah, and continued doing that work even though Hawke's Bay was in the state of national um, emergency. So there were the question marks there over whether or not those resources should have been directed towards uh, to helping people in Hawke's Bay and I think there's going to be some questions and question time about that and uh, yeah the police minister today I think will probably be up to speed on what was going on there. Great story um, on that um, yeah Kush. Mm, pits and peaks um, well lobby card removal probably a peak a pit perhaps all these political apologies. Well, we'll leave it there. So thanks very much for listening. This was One News Inside Parliament, your peek behind the scenes on the biggest political stories of the week. Do you have a burning political question? Do you want to hear more on a particular topic? Send your feedback to insideparliament at tvnz.co.nz. That's not inside.parliament at tvnz.co.nz. There is no dot. Um, 
I'm not. I'm going to see how long I can dra- drag out the reference to that uh, that mess up in our first episode this year. Um, head to onenews.co.nz for more insight, including that great interview with John Campbell. That's through the website, and follow One News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All the links are in the details for this episode on your app. And if you like this episode, please tell a friend and rate and review us. Thanks very much. Bye.